Hey, Proof listeners, it's Kevin here. I'm so excited to hand off this last episode of the season to my colleague, Hannah Crowley. Hannah is the executive reviews editor at America's Test Kitchen, and she's got a ton of experience reviewing and taste testing all kinds of foods. So without further ado, here's Hannah. I grew up in New England, where one of the regional specialties is lobster. We eat it straight from the shell or on rolls. The roll has to be a split-top roll, like a hot dog roll, with the sides griddled in butter. You might hear people debate about whether a lobster roll should be served hot and buttered or cold with mayo. I'm team light mayo all the way. But regardless, the name of the game is simplicity, so the lobster really shines. I've been chatting with reporter Claudia Rosenbaum, who does things a little bit differently with seafood down her way in Maryland. Hi, Claudia. Hey, Hannah. Um, Yeah, down here it's all about the crabs, specifically Maryland blue crabs. And right now it's harvest season, and September is the time you get the biggest crabs of the season. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that you would never get served a bear crab around here. Oh, wow, that's so different. I love it. Yeah, ours come covered in Old Bay, practically smothered. It's Maryland's iconic state seasoning. We know it's got celery salt, red pepper, black pepper, and paprika, but what the rest of the ingredients are is a mystery. Everything in Maryland, I'm talking everything, comes covered in Old Bay. From french fries, cottage cheese, it's on the rims of Bloody Marys, it's on our sweet corn. That all sounds delicious. Yeah, the people here are crazy about it. I mean, there were shirts that say, I put Old Bay on my Old Bay. (laughs) Even this Christmas, I bought some of the smaller cans at the grocery store, and I bedazzled them with some red and blue glitter. And I put a little hook on them, and then I gave them out to my neighbors, and they made the perfect Christmas ornaments. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love that. Yeah, and if you're fortunate enough to be invited to the governor's mansion for a steak dinner, you'll find it prominently featured in some variation on the menu. I was able to sit down with Maryland's Governor Larry Hogan to talk to him about his love of Old Bay. You know, you can't be the governor of Maryland and invite people to the governor's mansion and not have crab cakes or not display our Maryland seafood. So there's always Old Bay and those recipes and crab soup and Uh, crab cakes and crab dip, and we try to show off Old Bay and the uh, great bounty of the Chesapeake Bay. Around here, everyone will tell you that they love Old Bay and their favorite thing that they like to put it on. But if you ask anyone who's behind creating that iconic seasoning, not a lot of people seem to be able to answer that. Wow. Well, I have yet to be invited to the governor's mansion, and I am thrilled to learn a little bit more about this spice. And I know that you have been reporting on this extensively and the man behind it. And it seems like there are some real twists and turns in this now multi-billion dollar industry. It's a wild story. It's about outsmarting the Nazis. It's about almost being turned away at Ellis Island. It's a David and Goliath story at its core. Well, I'm excited to dig in. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Hannah Crowley, and this is Proof. Do you love the idea of buying your meat from a trusted butcher shop? Well, Porter Road's got you covered. Porter Road is an online butcher with a mission to fix a broken food system. They work with trusted local farmers who raise animals humanely and on pasture, 
without added hormones or antibiotics. And they deliver straight to your door. Here's co-founder James Peisker. When the larger main meat companies are pushing down on the farmers to maximize profits and to make sure that they're doing everything they can to supply the country with cheap meat, it affects the quality, it affects the animals, and it affects the farmers and the environment that goes along with it. If it's raised better, it tastes better as well. So we started to look at it as a partnership. And how do we build a system that rewards farmers for taking the extra effort? And this commitment pays off. The other night, I grilled a dry-aged ribeye for dinner, and it was a gorgeous piece of steak. They dry-aged their beef for 14 days, which gives the ribeye a supremely beefy flavor. Well-marbled and tender, a real treat for a weeknight family meal. Right now, Porter Road is offering a 15% discount to Proof listeners. Visit porterroad.com proof to bring some of their high-quality cuts home to you. Reporter Claudia Rosenbaum brings us today's story. Imagine you are standing on the street in bustling Baltimore. It's 1938 and the country's in the midst of a depression. The streets are packed. There's fruit sellers, produce stands, and there's even a person selling live chickens. In some ways it feels like a time of opportunity, but the reality is that jobs are scarce and you have a family to feed, two teenage kids and a wife. In your home country of Germany, despite having only a seventh grade education, you founded and built a successful business. Yet you had to leave practically everything behind and flee suddenly. You now have nothing, no money, and only a few possessions. You are closing in on 50, and to top it off, you don't even speak English. That was the predicament facing Gustav Brunn. Before Gustav Brunn and his family ended up in Baltimore, Gustav was a recognized spice dealer and seasoning maker in Germany, where he was born. Gustav capitalized on Germany's love of sausages, and he would buy spices in bulk from spice importers in Hamburg and resell them to sausage makers. Through trial and error, he developed a whole line of sausage seasonings. There were blended seasonings for hot dogs, bologna, salamis, bratwurst, meatloafs, and more. Business was good. Gustav married a woman named Bianca, and they had two children, a son named Ralph and a daughter named Lori. The family had a large house with a beautiful garden. They had a live-in maid, a children's maid, and even a chauffeur. So the Browns were well off. The economic situation in Germany was dire, with triple-digit inflation. But it seemed like sausages remained popular, and Gustav's seasoning and spice business thrived. Right. Gustav was Jewish. But growing up in Germany, he said he didn't recall being treated any differently because of it. Here's Gustav talking to the Jewish Historical Society of Maryland. You'll be hearing directly from Gustav from this oral history interview throughout the episode. Bear with me as the audio was recorded a long time ago, so the quality isn't great. When asked if he experienced any anti-Semitism growing up, Gustav said he didn't. No, not at all. But by the mid-1930s, public sentiment shifted. The Nazis had come to power in Germany, and the Nuremberg Laws ruled that only individuals of German blood could be citizens. The warning signs of what was coming for Gustav and his family were everywhere. The stores in their town posted signs that read, Jews not wanted here. Here's Gustav describing what happened next. The Nazis 
didn't even uh, uh, pass through and uh, didn't even look at you anymore. That so started out this way. Then they decided I, I don't stay here in this Nazi town. I moved to Frankfurt, and from Frankfurt I traveled. Moving from a small town to a big city didn't end Gustav's problems. He knew they were in danger. He wrote to an uncle, one he never met, who had settled in the United States in Baltimore, Maryland. He asked whether he would sponsor his family for a visa. The uncle agreed, and Gustav and his family prepared to leave Germany. The night of November 10, 1938, almost ruined Gustav's plans. Synagogues were torched, Jewish homes were vandalized, storefronts were smashed, and Jews across the country were rounded up and arrested. It was later called Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass. First came over the, over the radio. All Jews have to have to deliver to the police department weapons. Gustav brought his guns to the station. Ralph, his son, who was 13 years old at the time, helped his father carry all his hunting rifles. But this turned out to be a clever ruse to disarm all the Jews and to arrest them all at once. Gustav and the other men were loaded onto a cattle car that took them to Buchenwald concentration camp. At the time, Gustav didn't know where they were headed. Gustav's son, Ralph, was shocked. Ralph told his mother what happened. She managed to find out where they had taken Gustav. Gustav was at the concentration camp for 16 days before bribes were paid to a lawyer connected with the Gestapo who helped secure his release. Here's Ralph, now 96 years old, explaining what went down. It was somehow known in Frankfurt through the Jewish community that there was a lawyer in the city who was connected with the Gestapo and if you go to the lawyer, you could uh, buy the person back who was, had been arrested. And it was a very expensive proposition. Not too many people could afford it, but my parents were pretty comfortable. And the story was that one half would go up front and the other half would have to be paid when the merchandise was delivered. And if the second half did not get paid promptly, the merchandise would be returned back to where it came from. That was a wording. When Gustav suddenly reappeared, Ralph said he never spoke to him about how the Nazis treated everyone in the camps. Ralph said his father never looked back. He only looked forward his entire life. He went to Germany. He looked forward to come to the United States and be here. Everything was forward, never back. Gustav did tell the Jewish Historical Society that he saw people beaten and made to work in quarries with rocks tied to their backs. He saw people he knew, an old boss he worked for, a rabbi beaten with sticks, and that after he left, he never saw them again. So what happened to Gustav and his family after that? Well, the Nazis told Gustav he had 10 days to get out of the country or else. So Gustav didn't waste any time. The family had already secured passage on a steamship to America. They weren't allowed to take any money with them except for 10 German marks, which was about $4 at the time. They could send some possessions by ship, but Gustav only really wanted to take one thing, his spice mill with its mixer. He had already rewired the mill to work on the American electrical volt system, Here's Gustav's wife, Bianca, describing what they left with when they set sail for the United States. 
It's a little hard to hear, but Bianca says that the family left with very little, but they had chutzpah. They also brought Gustav's beloved spice mill to the United States. It's a heavy contraption made of steel now on display at Baltimore Museum of Industry. I took a picture of it. Its base is bolted to the floor and on top is a wide steel bowl for the raw spices to be poured in. It has a motorized mixer to combine the dry seasoning blends. There's a thick flute that goes straight up to the ceiling for venting the fumes. Wow, this is so much bigger than I expected. You know, we grind a lot of spices at the test kitchen, but we're using like little blade coffee grinders for that. This, this thing is big. Yeah, it's a pretty bulky item. I'm, I'm not really sure how he packed it or how he actually transported it on a ship, but you know, it was a big thing to bring to the United States. Is this the only thing that he brought? Well, he was able to bring some pieces of furniture, but basically this was pretty much all he showed up in Baltimore with. When we return, the Bruns set sail to the United States. Eating food can transport us to different places and times. We're able to explore a new world with just one bite. That's exactly what President of Veroni USA, Marco Veroni, wants for anyone who tries their cured meats. I like to think that when people taste our product, that's the way of having the cheapest trip to Italy. Because uh, tasting our salami, our prosciutto, our mortadella is the real way to discover the taste of Italy. Their careful production process helps preserve the quality of the ingredients and let the authentic flavors shine through. With Veroni's cured meats, no matter where you are, a trip to Italy is just one bite away. OXO product engineer Noah Panalovich wants to make sure OXO's cooking tools exceed your expectations. That's why the engineers go to lengths to make sure the tools add value to your life and make everyday tasks better. We want to make sure that users would only have even better experiences. We want to make sure it could last a really long time, perform consistently over its lifetime. And that's one of the reasons we did so much cycle testing to make sure what we were putting out there was going to meet our customers' expectations. Expect more. Find your tools at OXO.com. Right now, OXO is offering a special discount for proof listeners. Just use the code ATK15 for 15% off on OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO, better guaranteed. As a podcast host, full-time grad student, and dad, I gotta say, I enjoy a glass of wine or three to unwind. And if you're like me and appreciate a nice libation at home, Naked Wines has you covered. They make it easy to get world-class wines delivered to your home. You'll be supporting winemakers who produce wines exclusive to Naked Wines subscribers. And if you're not completely satisfied, there's a hassle-free money-back guarantee. And believe it or not, home delivery is included. Get started today and save $100 off your first order of $140. A six-bottle case starts at just $39.99. Visit NakedWines.com slash SummerProof and you'll have yourself a glass of your own. Naked Wines, from the winemaker to your door.
And now, back to our story. Ralph remembers the first nine months after the family settled in Baltimore as a very angry period in his father's life. Ralph said his father went out every day from morning till night looking for work. He said Gustav came back empty-handed every evening. The situation was a bitter pill for everyone to swallow. Here's Ralph. Trying to find work every, anywhere he could and uh, couldn't find anything. And this was pretty bad. His temper was, at that time, he was hard to live with. But Gustav didn't give up. At night, he took English classes. He waited two months until he learned enough English before applying for a job at a spice company in town called McCormick & Co. McCormick as in the McCormick Spice Company? Yeah, that's the one. When Gustav arrived in Baltimore, McCormick was the main spice company in town. The company was founded in the late 1800s by a man named Willoughby McCormick. At the time, Willoughby's nephew Charles was in charge. When he finally felt ready, Ralph said that Gustav walked into McCormick's factory and met with Charles McCormick himself. Gustav told him that he was from Germany and had manufactured seasonings for sausages. Gustav said he noticed that McCormick didn't have his own line of sausage seasonings and offered to help develop one. McCormick hired him on the spot, and Ralph remembered his father came home elated. But the joy didn't last for long. Gustav worked for only three days at McCormick's laboratory on Light Street until Ralph said someone discovered that Gustav was Jewish. Ralph believes that's why McCormick fired his father. They figured out and found out that he was Jewish. And John McCormick sent the vice president down there and told him, you can't work here, you have to see Gustav recalled it this way in his tapes. Mr. McCormick, he promised me a job right away and introduced me to, to his chemist there in his laboratory there. He sent you to uh, understand English or so, and he wanted to fire me at that time. Gustav says the chemist who he was working with told him that he didn't understand English, and that's why McCormick fired him. What did McCormick have to say about this? When I reached out to McCormick, they responded, quote, The story of Gustav's relationship to McCormick has been brought to our attention, and as it's from over 80 years ago, we are unable to substantiate it and believe it's inconsistent with the beliefs of the McCormick family and our values as a company. Today, we can affirm that McCormick is committed to providing a workplace that is free from any form of discrimination. We believe that all people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Unquote. Well, whatever they're saying there, one thing is clear. Gustav didn't have a job anymore. Right. He was dejected. So Gustav turned to a successful Jewish businessman for advice. The businessman asked Gustav if he really knew the spice business. And when Gustav replied yes, the businessman encouraged him to follow his passion. And encouragement was all he needed. Gustav never looked back. Gustav set up shop at 26 Marketplace in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. He picked a second-floor storefront above the Southern Seafood Company and across the street from Baltimore's main wholesale fish market. Ralph said he didn't know why his father chose this location, but maybe it was because the fish aroma that permeated the entire area made spaces here cheap. The owners of the building told Gustav he could pay them rent later. Gustav hired a local carpenter and got his spice mill and mixer hooked up and ready to start grinding. 
Gustav still needed spices to grind. So he went to New York, where there was the American branch of a Dutch spice importing firm that he had done business with in Germany. Gustav walked into the office unannounced. He was planning to order only a small assortment of unprocessed spices, but instead the clerk had told him that he could have as much of anything that he wanted on an open account. Gustav was stunned. His reputation in Germany had apparently preceded him. Here's Ralph recalling his father's surprise. He was very proud of this thing. There's a guy walking off the street and gets credit where nobody in the world would get credit for anybody. That was something he really valued. And of course he valued that his entire life. He always saw to it that bills were paid in time and before time, before it was necessary. This carried through to me as well. Yeah, I, this is so interesting to me. You know, we talked before about what the family brought over with them, and we mentioned the mill and furniture, physical things, but clearly they brought so much more with them. His reputation preceded him, his drive, his expertise. Absolutely. And with the spices in hand, Gustav's Baltimore Spice Company was born. It wasn't long before Gustav had a steady stream of customers coming upstairs from the seafood markets looking for something to put on their crabs. Here's Gustav as he remembers it. When I saw the pepper is uh, used and seafood, a lot of seafood, so I thought I am a specialist in, in making seasonings in Germany, mixed, uh, mixed spices. So I uh, just uh, thought I could make a ready seasoning for the seafood. As Ethan Frisch, a spice expert from Burlap and Barrel, says, Gustav's ability to nail a taste that appeals to so many people is really unusual in the spice trade. Creating something that people will like that uh, sort of appeals to a wide range of people and can be used in a, a lot of different ways is really difficult. And that's also even harder because there are so many amazing spice blends that are part of traditional cuisine from all around the world. Often they change a lot, household to household or town to town. Gustav worked on perfecting his crab seasoning blend, but he also knew that he had to keep his blend recipe secret from others so nobody could copy the recipe. By law, Gustav knew he had to individually list ingredients if they made up more than 2% of the total weight of the product. But he also knew that anything kept under that amount could just be labeled quote-unquote spices. And so that's what he did. As Ethan explains, it's typical for seasoning makers to use this loophole to hide their exact secret recipes. You don't talk about spice blends. That's always a very secretive, very proprietary conversation. Yeah, I see this a lot in our product reporting. That 2% will really kill you. Companies can really hide behind it. So we're, we're trying to figure out why we like one brand more than another. The differences are often hidden in that 2%. So Gustav knew what he was doing. He's a smart man. Yeah, word spread through the fish market and everyone wanted to get a taste of Gustav's spice blend. Word eventually reached McCormick and then they tried to replicate the recipe themselves. So in order to throw McCormick off, Ralph said his father added a whole laundry list of additional spices that he used in tiny amounts, using 13 in total. Gustav was sure he had created the perfect blend, but he had one main problem, customers. He tried peddling the seasoning himself, but there were no takers. The local fish market and the customers were sticking with their homemade blends. But one day, Gustav got chatty with a man around the corner who was selling steamed crabs. Gustav insisted the man take a 10-pound box of seasoning for free. 
And wouldn't you know it, the next day, the man came back to Gustav and says his seasoning is pretty good. And soon he's selling more crabs. It wasn't long before word spread and the entire fish market was hooked on Gustav's seasoning blend. Gustav then decided to do something else unusual for the time. Instead of just selling the seasoning wholesale, he put it in small, round oyster cans and sold them in retail establishments. At first, Gustav didn't have a name for his seasoning. He just called it Delicious Brand Shrimp and Crab Seasoning. For every move Gustav made, it seemed McCormick followed. After Gustav put his cans on the shelf, McCormick came out with their own delicious shrimp and crab seasoning in almost identical cans. But as luck would have it, an advertising agent gave Gustav the idea to name his seasoning Old Bay. The distinctive name stood out. Here's Ralph. And he came to my father and said, Gus, you know, there are a couple of steamship lines that just went out of business because we started to have highways that work better. And there was the Baltimore Steam Packet Line that was just nicknamed the Old Bay Line. He said, you know, Old Bay is a nice name for this stuff, isn't it? So that's how the name Old Bay came about. Ralph, who by now was helping his father with the business, had another idea to help distinguish the bronze product from McCormick's. I went to this artist over there, people who, who lithographed these labels, and I said, I want something totally different from what is usually in the retail stores. In those days, it was pretty common for people to put very beautiful labels on their retail products. And I called them Rembrandts because they're all one more prettier than the next. I said, I don't want a Rembrandt. I want something you can see all the way to the other end of the store. I want something sharp and simple and easy. We fiddled around with this thing and ultimately we came up with this design. That's what it is still today. That wasn't Gustav's last run in with McCormick. By the 1940s, the bronze business got so big that a New York spice broker suggested that Gustav join the American Spice Trade Association, or ASTA. Two companies sponsored Gustav's application, which was submitted for approval at the next meeting. Ralph said when McCormick representatives found out about Gustav's application, they threatened to quit. But ironically, years later, when the bronze Baltimore Spice Company had grown so large, ASTA came calling, asking for Gustav and Ralph to join. Here's Ralph. They sent us a formal registered letter that they really request that we do join the association. And I replied to that letter. I said, I thank you for this invitation, but I want to remind you that some years ago, McCormick and Company said if they blank, blank refugees join this association, we will get out. It is our opinion today that as soon as they get out, we'll be glad to join the association. When Gustav was in his 90s, the Baltimore Spice Company had expanded. They had plants and mills in six different countries. It was a lot to manage. So they decided to sell the business. It changed hands a couple of times after that. And then in 1990, McCormick stepped in and bought the Old Bay brand, including its secret recipe and distinctive packaging. What? After all of that, McCormick gets to own Old Bay? Yeah, another stab in the back. But stay with me here. Wait till you hear what happens next. Years later, a traveling exhibit that celebrated the enduring friendships between the Catholic and Jewish faiths came to the United States. The Associated Jewish Federation of Baltimore and the Catholic Church were thinking of a way to raise the $75,000 to bring the exhibit to Baltimore. Ralph had an idea. He decided to call up the McCormicks to see if they would contribute. I said, you know, McCormick are Catholics. This is a good time to make peace between the McCormick's and the Bronze. 
So I got a hold of my friend Stan at the Associated and said to him, look, there's been a lot of bad blood between McCormick and Bruns. Why don't you propose to them that we can make peace? They should pay half and we pay half. It wasn't long until Ralph's phone rang. It was the North American president of McCormick who suggested they meet for lunch. Over lunch, Ralph told him about the exhibit and how it was about forgiveness and the enduring friendships between the Jews and the Catholics. Here's Ralph. He knew a little bit about it, but he had me explain the story to him. I said to him, now look, the Corning Company and uh, the Bronze supposed to suggest that we split this thing. So why don't I come up with $25,000 and come and come up with $50,000? He says, why? It's supposed to be 50 50. I said, well, you guys got more money. Corporation has more money than I have. I said, well, you're right. But we talked a little bit about him. He's an awful nice fellow. And as we left, he says, I want to tell you something. I can't make that decision. I have to go to the board. And I imagine they'll agree to this. But in the event they don't, I'll pay for it out of my own, my own pocket. This guy had nothing to do with it, had nothing related wow. to the McCormick's. I was flabbergasted. Two days later, I get a call from downtown that a check for $50,000 had arrived. So, I mean, certainly there's peace between the McCormick's and the Bronx today. I said, it's a good way to make peace, isn't it? Today, Ralph is trying to make peace with how popular Old Bay has become. Everybody wants him to try their Old Bay concoctions, whether it's an Old Bay beer or that time Ralph was asked to try Old Bay ice cream. This is an ice cream store. And they started to put Old Bay into ice cream. <laughs> I went down to see them <laughs> and uh, the owner proudly brought it out. And he explained to me that his most popular ice cream is chocolate. The next most popular ice cream is Old Bay ice cream. So I tasted this stuff, and I thought it was atrocious, but he was very proud of this thing. So I couldn't, couldn't say, couldn't argue with him about it, but he was very proud of his old bay ice cream. While Ralph's family no longer owns the brand, he's still proud of the legacy they created. Old Bay will live on in novelty products and beyond, at airport stands, supermarkets, Christmas ornaments, and of course, at steam crab dinners. Thanks to Claudia Rosenbaum for bringing us this story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Hannah Crowley, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm senior producer Caroline Rickert. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton and Anya Gzeshik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis is our director of post-production, and our line producer is... Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by... Angela Yang. Special thanks to Maggie Hoffman, Claire Mullins, and Deb Wiener for help with research for this story. And thanks to the Jewish Museum of Maryland for providing the archival audio from Gustav and Bianca Brunn. Also thanks to Ralph Brunn, 
Governor Larry Hogan, Chef Eric Ziebold, and Ethan Frisch for making the time to speak with Claudia. And final thanks to Claudia's husband, Lee Green, for his support. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors for this season, OXO, Naked Wines, Veroni, and Porter Road. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. <laughs>